This episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream, a subscription streaming service with literally thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. The Streamy Award-nominated Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not disruptors, destroyers, troublemakers, botherers, or annoyers. So please, haters to the left. You're probably asking, why do I need Nebula if I've already got CuriosityStream? And uh, you know what? That's a good question. Intellectual curiosity is how we reach a more perfect union. So good job. So I'm going to tell you how it breaks down. Curiosity Stream is all about big budget nonfiction videos. And Nebula is a place for the smaller, independent education type creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. So think of it as like a Gilman or like a CBGB where you can say you saw someone cool and punk before they became mainstream and lame. Although... Mainstream is cool, too. There's no such thing as selling out, FYI. Anyway, with Nebula, you can see original, you guessed it, content from creators like Legal Eagle, Sarah Zed, and a certain Ellis of the Lindsay variety. So, get CuriosityStream and Nebula for only $2.99 a month or $19.99 for a full year. That's 365 days, which is almost how long we've been in quarantine, but that's a side note. Uh, you can get that by visiting CuriosityStream.com. You guessed it, slash musical splaining. And once you use the code, you'll get a welcome email from Nebula giving you access to the goods. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host, Kava Taharian. And I'm Lindsay Ellis. And today we're joined by our good friend, our fifth beetle. Our eighth beetle. Our, our <laughs> the twelfth beetle. Eighth beetle. Yeah. Oh, hi, I'm Angelina. This is my fourth time, I think, on Musical Splaining, uh, the musical podcast for people who like musicals and screaming. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Lindsay's co-writer and co-editor on her channel, and I, you probably, if you've heard me before, you remember me from like Hot Sweaty Dumps. I don't think I'm ever yes. going to live that. Um, <laughs> I, so uh, was that? That was, was that Love Never Dies? I think that was Love Never Dies. I, it's got to be because when I think of hot sweaty dumps, it's automatically Andrew Lloyd Webber. But uh, yeah, yeah, glad to be back. Our king. Our and when king. I when I think of hot sweaty dumps, I think of Angie. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm just gonna put. I'm gonna add that to our merch store. Yeah. <laughs> once, we get, once we get a merch, hot, yeah, that'll be the that'll be what's on the scarf. Yes. Hot sweaty dumps. That's what's going on my LinkedIn byline now. Oh, storyteller hyphen yeah. it hot sweaty yeah, dumps at the end of it. Get that yep. trademarked. Anyway, anyway, so today... <laughs> today, <laughs> today we're here to talk about a certain movie that uh, you guys have both seen, surprisingly, that I have not. Uh, and what is that <laughs> film? Uh, today we're talking about Baz Luhrmann's 2001 sleeper hit, Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge! Moulin Rouge! Uh, I mean, because I, I really like Moulin Rouge, but the reason I, I had Angie on here is like, she, this was, you know, it's kind of like how, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it, but she, like, I think has residual, like, blood, you know, <laughs> vessels that are, like, got Moulin Rouge posters on the inside. Yeah. From Just 2001. Like, slowly over the course of 20 years, because this movie's turning 20 years old this spring, oh, which makes God, me want to die. That's a huge oh, bummer. No. Oh. Um, 
But it's Why like, say it? <laughs> I just wanted to drag everybody down, you know. Yeah, as if this, it, this week, I think yeah, like this week yeah. has been too easy on everybody. We yeah, yeah to, seriously. Yeah. Remind us everybody of the like slow march of time. <laughs> <laughs> Adagio for the passing of time. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is like kind of um, like hard coded into me after a certain point because I saw I got into Moulin Rouge rather the same year. I'm sorry, Kaveh. I got into it the same year I got into Phantom of the Opera. No! <laughs> so I want you to put yourself into the mind of a 13-year-old girl who likes Phantom of the Opera and like what movie she would really like. That's and literally that been the entirety of this podcast is me getting into the minds of a 13-year-old girl who likes Phantom of the Opera. Mind hunter. I, mean, I don't know. I think uh, I would have to say that they, they have very different appeals. Oh. On, on the surface of it, th- that doesn't necessarily uh you know seem to be like the type of person who would like both of them it's kind of like you know because i was on another podcast recently talking about my limp biscuit phase and how you know i I went directly from limp biscuit to les mis like that's not a very normal (laughs) (laughs) progression (laughs) the limp biscuit to les mis pipeline why is nobody talking about the limp biscuit to les mis pipeline i just want fred you know what i'm sure if you paid fred durst enough money he would do like a concert version of les mis they've had so many celebrities (laughs) i'm sure if you paid him any money he would do a concert at this point yeah Whenever they, whenever the, the Limp Biscuit musical hits Broadway, we'll we'll yeah. see. Oh, if we fuck! Can now we got to write that one. Up. Everyone's gonna be like, like, "I want to yeah. see a Limp Biscuit musical." Yeah. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, no, it'd be it's good. Like, out in the top. At the very least, at the very least, a new new metal musical like Rock of Ages. Oh like, yeah! Come on, guys, Deftones. Yeah, get some I'd Marilyn kind of be Manson into that. in there. Yeah, I could do that. I'm surprised that doesn't. Uh, uh, wait, Rock of uh, which one was that? Rock That's of the Ages hair metal. Was a, yeah, it was like hair metal. Tom Cruise was in it. Um, oh, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. I was like, that did sound familiar. That's not the one. I'm thinking of Rockstar, the Mark Wahlberg one, but that's that was yeah. a musical. Or yeah. School of Rock, which is also a musical written well, by that's Andrew right. Lloyd Webber. Uh, or Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote that? Yeah, yeah, he wrote the stage version. That was like his last really <laughs> successful musical. Like, actually, no, because like he surprised us yet again because I thought Love Never Dies would be like the end of Lord Andy, but oh no, he came back with School of Rock and it ran for like four or five years, the Winter Garden. So it was like a big theater. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did really well. well. Good for her. Also starred Alex Brightman. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her, Duck Gift. Okay. Moulin Rouge! Exclamation point. Is that actually in the title? It has mm-hmm. the exclamation? Yep. Oh, yep. I see. Moulin yep. Rouge! Is a 2001 <laughs> jukebox musical <laughs> romantic drama. Film. Directed, co-produced, and co-written by Baz Luhrmann. Music by dot 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 many people because it is again it is again a jukebox musical Moulin Rouge was a sleeper hit at a time when musical movies were very much not in vogue it was released in May but maintained so much popularity throughout the summer that by the time it was award season Fox was like eh let's just do a quick FYC which for those of you not in the know is for your consideration at the 74th Academy Awards the film was nominated for eight Oscars including Best Picture and Best Actress for Nicole Kidman, winning two for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. It was the first musical nominated for Best Picture in 10 years following Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Which itself was the first musical to be nominated since uh, All That Jazz, I think. And then after, before that, it was Cabaret. So we're looking at like... That's like the 70s, right? Yes. Four musicals over like a... 
30 year span had been nominated so it was like a real dry spell which is weird because like cabaret like swept and then after that it was nothing all that jazz did really well too like Yeah, like it, it won, yeah. it it won it Best Picture. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it won oh, Best I didn't Picture. Know that. Yeah. Didn't fucking like Chicago win like around that time, like a couple years after? That was a couple years later. Yeah. Yeah. So like I think Moulin Rouge walked, so Chicago right, so fly. Kind of- <laughs> yeah. You see so much in the movie musicals, especially the more drama leaning ones or period piece ones, like they ape so much from Moulin Rouge, like mm-hmm. straight up. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there a lot of like uh, like even the Phantom of the Opera movie? cribs a lot from Moulin Rouge yeah uh, and also while we're here uh, All That Jazz did win a bunch of Oscars uh, technical Oscars it did not win Best Picture okay it, it was nominated. nominated yeah that's right mm. yeah uh, won, it won the Golden Globe for Best Picture um, obviously musical or comedy so explanation a jukebox musical is a stage musical or musical film in which a majority of the songs are well known popular songs rather than original music I believe that that was for me specifically to know <laughs> uh, you're a dummy <laughs> what's a book uh, <laughs> that's my failing I, 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 I take full responsibility for that <laughs> you led me you're supposed to protect me <laughs> It's all right. I forgive you. Uh, Jukebox musicals usually restrict music to a genre slash time period. For example, Rock of Ages in 2005, Boogie Nights in 1997, or a single artist, Mamma Mia. I'm sorry, Mamma Mia in 1999. (laughs) Also. I don't know, 2006. Recent trend of animated movies based on current slash recent top 40s. Uh, such as Trolls and Sing. Oh my God, Trolls was like the big movie last year. There was so much controversy around that. Trolls, yeah, Trolls World Tour. World Tour. Yeah. World, 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 World Tour. The Rural Tour. The Rural Tour. The Rural Tour. The Rural Tour. Merman, Flurman, Murders. Rural Tour. Rural Tour. Rural Jackie Jorm Chop. Huge trend. In Broadway. Well, yeah, I can't, can, the, the non-30 Rock crowd is so frustrated right <laughs> I know, now. They're like, what the fuck are they talking <laughs> all about? The, all those Parks and Rec fans are like, I don't get it. ¿Por qué no los dos? Uh, it was a huge trend in Broadway since Boomers hit retirement. Jersey Boys, based on the musical of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. Jagged Little Pill, based on the music of Alanis Morissette. Imagine, based on John Lennon's slash the celebrity comp- uh, compilation video that was on Twitter at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and of course, mm. crickets. Uh, American Idiot, well, based I, on the I think music I really, of Green to, Day. to avoid confusion, the John Lennon musical was about ten years ago. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, Moulin Rouge just takes music from whatever, so it's not especially uh, faithful to the idea of a jukebox musical being from one era. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. I think you see more often than not jukebox musicals adhering to some theme but you know it's not mandatory yeah um yeah like trolls i think was like the most recent like big hit i guess sing made a lot of money too Ugh, yeah thanks i hate it <laughs> those trolls it did, did not stick to a specific theme it was just top 40 okay i think yeah i mean it's funny because like, i it's one of those movies that like i remember the movie really well i don't remember a single song that was in it that's weird not a one despite them all being top 40 ones yeah i can't even I, bizarre I think there was like a Sam Smith song in it. Like that's the only yeah, thing I can I, say. I, I, was like, I can't remember Sing either. It was, I think yeah, no, Stay with me was in Sing because Sam Smith was 
insane. Yeah. Anyway, this is we're yeah. talking about Moulin Rouge, but yeah, I think that's sort yeah. of a problem with, do, with your with your whenever your musical your jukebox musical is based on whatever is like it then that just de facto makes it really unmemorable. Um, yeah, that makes which sense. Is another thing that kind of is unique about Moulin Rouge is the fact that like people do tend to remember the songs despite it being again based on whatever. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's just like whatever Baz Luhrmann had like on in his yeah. car that day. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah it's like you know what? Like, let's put Diamonds Are a Girl best best friend in the same room with Smells Like Teen Spirit, and oh, yeah. then let's do a mashup between the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently, he was inspired by watching a Bollywood movie in India. You don't know what uh, what the movie was. I wonder what it was. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't say. He didn't say. Uh-huh. Lerman said there was the lowest possible comedy and then incredible drama and tragedy and then breakout in songs. And it was three and a half hours. We thought it was incredible how involved the audiences were, how uncool they were, how their coolness had been ripped aside and how they were united in the singular sharing of the story. The thrill of sinking. Could we ever do that in the West? Could we ever get past that cerebral cool and perceived cool? Question mark. My first question is, what was the appeal for you guys? Yeah, I'll let you go first because I guess I have a journey. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit frustrating. Yeah, yeah. I long time viewers know what's coming. I, uh, <laughs> I um I got into Moulin Rouge. It came out the spring after um my. God, I always feel like every time I come on this yeah, podcast, I'm like, like yeah, my only my, personality my, my trait. My only personality <laughs> trait is like, my dad died, and then Sweaty like, dopes and dead dads. Whenever, the whenever, whenever, like, oh, my personality was essentially formed entirely at 13 and has not changed in 20 years. But like, so, but where I am is like, I really got into musical theater in that time. Like, I always liked musicals, and then that just became something I started leaning into. And so I remember Moulin Rouge came out, and. I thought I was too cool for it for some reason, which is like the weirdest mm-hmm. thing to say because I was like a four foot six uh, shut in. Um, yeah, who, no, I was too. I think there's a, there's definitely an element of like cool girlness yeah. whenever you look at a movie like Moulin Rouge because it was very pretty and you had you know uh, Nicole Kidman being like you know beautiful and perfect and it is a romance. We're so not into that. It was, it was very feminine feeling, so it's like it was really easy to cool girl your way out of watching that. Certainly, that's what I did. Again, well, I was like, biscuit. I'm too cool for this. <laughs> and then the, what made it even worse was like my brother saw it in theaters and my brother became obsessed with it. And I have a very contentious relationship with my brother to the point where if he likes something, I'm just like, I just assume I don't it's garbage. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's got to be really, really bad. And then one day. He does have really awful taste, in fairness. It's <laughs> atrocious. It, like, yeah. If you ever see a movie trailer and you're like, who the fuck would see that? It, yeah. The answer's it's your brother. brother. Like, okay. yeah, he, he's like, he, he like loves the Michael Bay Benghazi movie. Like, yeah. that's oh. what the level of taste we're talking about here. Yeah. Like, he will literally watch anything and like, but he really, really liked Milan Rouge. So I was like, well, fuck this. I'm never watching it. And then. <laughs> And um, that right before school started in ninth grade, my Aunt Jeannie had like a double decker VCR and nice. she got like a copy of Mo- a bootleg copy of Moulin pirated. Rouge. Yeah, she pirated yeah. a copy of Moulin Rouge and then made a copy of it for us with her VCR Ooh. for my brother. And then one day my brother put it on and left the room and I just sat and watched it. And it was like instant like. Someone saw inside of this song. It's like Obi Wan Kenobi's here, and he's beautiful, and they're singing, they're singing your song, and it's colorful, and it's Paris, and it's like a perfume commercial on acid, and it's got feelings, and and like that was like I literally watched that movie, that like Fellowship of the Ring. 
Yeah, just like mainlining. Yes. Yeah, the two genders, Moulin Rouge and Fellowship. They were the only two movies like I watched between like the years of like 2001 and like 2003. And like they were the first DVDs I got. We watched mm, we watched okay. Moulin Rouge at every single sleepover that I went to. Like Moulin Rouge was like hard coded into me. And yeah, it yeah. was very popular with like the high school girls because I remember that was another because I was like cool girling my way out of it because similarly I had a friend in high school that like I just had this I still kind of do like if someone is like really into something I'm like immediately turned off. Oh, that was me in like all of art school. Same thing. Where it's like, <laughs> you see kids who are super into something and it just turns yeah, you off. I'm I just like, it. no. Yeah. yeah, it's just like something. I mean, I think that it just it gives me anxiety um, mm. like where people expect you to love it as much as they do and if you don't and I never do because I don't like anything um, (laughs) like I'm going to disappoint them personally and I just that's part of why Uh, because I had this friend who's like really into Final Fantasy 7 I to this day have never touched a Final Fantasy game because like of of that residual Um, and she was also into the Matrix I think I just I I refuse to watch the Matrix and when I eventually did I was like (laughs) fuck this I hate it and then like Moulin Rouge was like another one of those and so it like also again had that like level of cool girls because it was girls who liked it you know and um i i think i it, that was like the tail end of the of the new metal uh era yeah, yeah. so i was kind of like nah and i think the the other the truth is when i first saw it i didn't like it i, re- oh. I remember that because i remember being so into it and being like oh do you like moulin rouge and you were like no and i was just like <laughs> no <laughs> i think because <laughs> like i think that's the thing is like Boz Lerman's endeavor was to have a high melodrama that was really tongue-in-cheek and, you know, refuses to play into, like, that sort of 90s ironic coolness. You know, it, it wears its feelings on its sleeve mm. and has, like, really big emotional whiplash uh, from scene to scene. And uh, I just wasn't here for it. I, I was, like, at a, of an age where I was just like that. I was just like, this is stupid. Yeah. I'm too, literally too <laughs> cool for stupid. this. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, like, not a drop of cynicism in Moulin Rouge. It is yeah, just like... Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's, like, it's hard in general to, to internalize things that don't have cynicism. But I also think it's hard to do well. Like, I think, you you know, outside of, like, action movies and epics, uh, like, for, for movies like that, it's hard not to be at least a little bit cynical, you know, kind of, like, yeah. slide in a little bit of wink-wink, like, we know it's a stupid right. musical and stuff like that, uh, to kind of get people to le- let their guard down. And so I think it's, like, you definitely risk that, like, cringe, you know, mm-hmm. where if you, like, go ham on the uh, sincerity, because then you, you risk the turning it into NARM, I guess. is, is it, would, would that be considered NARM? I think... Not norm. Norm, is, norm is well. Norm, norm, is norm. norm like there, there. Yeah, I can't. Norm, has, is this it norm? It doesn't. Norm. <laughs> no. no. Okay. How do you how do you say it? Yeah, it's like this is another. We have to explain norm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> norm. That's <laughs> kind of like. I have no idea what's happening. Norm. All I know is that Angie just. For those yeah. of you who can't see, Angie just did like a chicken thing on her arm. Like, like when you would do a chicken impression. Also, Narm is a is a TV tropes term uh, that describes a phenomenon when a scene, usually in a movie, goes for really, really deep, hardcore emotionality, but mm-hmm. ends up just being hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. fair. Like, yeah, like it aims to be serious and dramatic, but like the the, the trappings yeah. of it completely belie that. <laughs> like, and it's, so, like, was it from Six Feet Under? It's from Six Feet Under. It's like it's from, there was a scene. Oh come on! Okay, there it is. It's like number six. There, there's basically a character it's like has a numb arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
he, he's like because he just had like a stroke or something and he's like oh no my numb is my arm is numb and he's like narm narm <laughs> it's like hodor if, like, i can describe it I'm like you know how hodor worked yeah. it's like imagine if hodor was really yeah. really silly so like that that yeah. is narm and i think that's sort of like the very the danger of of having you know really too s- earnest yes yeah, something that's too earnest is it's really easy to slide into narm which i think is why people default to um not that yeah. uh, but I guess the part two of that is I don't remember when I kind of turned the page I think I, eventually I was like oh this is fine you know I didn't dislike it actively anymore once I was in college and then uh, somewhere around 2011 uh, 2012 <laughs> I'm gonna have to put <laughs> some money in the swear jar so uh, I used to work for this website called Channel Awesome, and oh. Doug Walker, who was the nostalgia critic, really hated Moulin Rouge. And he hated it in that way that was like he could not understand what people liked about it. And mm. I think when you watch the review he did, he, that is evident. Like he just, all of the conclusions he drew were absolutely wrong but he's Mm. just such an arrogant person that when he like comes to a conclusion he he just kind of rolls with it and isn't really interested in listening to people or even asking so he asked me like if if there was a part i wanted to write and the only part i did write was i I did a little diatribe about ewan mcgregor's character and uh how i think he's a piece of shit and i guess it's like i I kind of stand by that like i think it's like the only it's just like he does suck like (laughs) but it's also also who cares like i think that's sort of it's just like but you know who gives a shit he sucks um but the other thing was the way Doug wrote that review is he would write his opinions for other people to say. And so mm. it was me and another uh, guy who I'm not going to name. Uh, <laughs> we're the three mains in that cast. It's going to be very um, hard to find out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. People are going to be... But then that... Deep throat it, over here. Yeah, it really <laughs> sucked because, like, I mean, this is something I should have thought of, like... The fact that I was saying Doug's opinions and kind of like going along with it meant that people thought that I had those opinions. Mm. And so to this day, I still get people giving me shit for not liking Moulin Rouge or for like having the wrong opinion or being ignorant about it. And I'm like, you're right. It was ignorant. But that was not my opinion. I was just thoughtlessly writing or reading Doug's script and I I do honestly regret it because that that one got a lot of eyeballs and a lot of people saw it and so there are a lot of people out there that think I have those opinions when like no those are Doug's opinions that's exciting though because now we have a podcast that a lot of people listen to this is yeah so we get to re this is the rebuttal or not yeah exactly this is is, uh, my apology tour you know this is like (laughs) yeah me um going up and down and like flagellating like in uh you know now they get to hear it yeah yeah Shame. They're gonna know exactly straight from the horse's mouth exactly what you think of it. Nothing scripted. It was around the Phantom review I did in 2016 that I kind of started to really reevaluate Moulin Rouge as like a mm. musical and a piece of art and what makes it work um, and sort of the pastiche of it all because I think it is at the end of the day it is still really unique. There hasn't been another movie like it before or since, even by Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, <laughs> and because I think it is really hard to really capture that energy. I, I think like the older I get, the more I appreciate it. 
I would say that that's what I would say about Baz Luhrmann in general. Like we were talking about this. You were asking me what my thoughts were on him. Mm-hmm. I don't hate Baz Luhrmann. I'm, I don't like love anything he does. I actually do really think Strictly Ballroom is fantastic. Like I was laughing my ass off the first time I watched <laughs> it. And I was like, oh, I fucking totally get it. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but even the ones that are like terrible that he does, I'm still like, okay. Like, yeah, like yeah. you said, there, it's just there's fucking just color and energy. Yeah, there's and just, something just, eminently watchable about even yeah. like about the bad ones. Although yeah. like the Great Gatsby we were watched earlier yeah. this year, it's like this is actually more boring than I remember. Yeah. But, like at least I remember it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember all of the the really goofy stuff that happens in The Great Gatsby. So I guess points for Baz Luhrmann. I mean, we still have Leonardo toasting the champagne yeah. to not yeah. and it was, it was a really good meme. Yeah. It's a hundred and fifty dollar meme. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is still kind of one of my life's great regrets that we never saw. Baz, the Baz Luhrmann musical oh, that was shit. In, in Vegas for a few years. Oh, I think it was like, we, like during my bachelorette party, was it there? I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we were like, mm, next time. And I really regret not seeing Baz. You got to see everything now. After this pandemic, we're fucking anything yeah. you see, anything you like, any any inkling you have, just fucking Plagued do it. Plagued with regret. Yeah. And yeah. Ooh, I feel I like I'm, I'm getting to the, to the, yeah. Oh, I'm getting to the point where like, you know, I'll just I'll watch a video of people standing in line for like the theater and be like, wow, I remember when yeah. they stand in a line to do a thing. I miss that line. Yeah. Like, let's I, miss that. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is something that maybe is more for like the second half of this, but it did get turned into a stage musical Mulan. Right? Yeah. And oh, it did. Maybe, maybe one day. Oh. Yeah. It just came out. It just like, came out right before we were the pandemic. There. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Maybe one day we can evaluate the stage musical. Yeah. Which I imagine is not a jukebox musical, right? It is. It is. It's oh, some it is, of the so songs. It has... yeah, yeah. It's some of the songs from the movie and then like other top 40 stuff that's in it. Too. Oh, that's sounds expensive yeah yeah i feel i feel like that, that that one could not have run for very long because of the licensing yeah. you're automatically like upping your uh production costs yeah was this like a thing he did right after uh romeo and juliet like was this like his you did really well so we're gonna give you this yeah ah, interesting. Uh, i think he might have had like he had a small project in between but i think this definitely was like his reward for you know having a really good return on investment for romeo and juliet which was kind of made on a shoestring no, i mean like for Hol- by Hollywood standards, it was yeah. made for really, really cheap, not by indie movie standards. <laughs> like, wow, twenty million dollars! Yeah. <laughs> well, he also directed like a production of La Boheme, like shortly after Moulin Rouge. That was like literally yeah. just oh, he okay. took every all the visual language from Moulin Rouge and tried to put it on stage with La Boheme because Moulin Rouge does take stuff from La Boheme too. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just like a Ouroboros of nineteenth century yeah. melodrama, <laughs> like going on in Baz Luhrmann's head. Like instead, you know how like there's that joke of like circus music going on. When you're like yeah, in your do, default do, mode, do, 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 instead do, for Baz Luhrmann, it's just like he's like Homer Simpson. he's the Homer Simpson of filmmaking. Baz Luhrmann. All, all I remember hearing or reading about Baz Luhrmann, or not all, but the thing that always stands out to me is the story that he he told. I don't know what it was fucking Vanity Fair or something. It was like one of these articles where he said that his dad was like some crazy military guy, mm-hmm. and he used to just like drop him off like fucking I don't know like five miles before they would get home like when he was a kid and just be like fucking figure it out and like find your way home like basically like, like you're trying to like whittle your you know brood down because yeah. you don't want to pay for all of them yeah especially basically just like do it survivalist yeah like, like yeah just like whichever one of you survives gets to go to college that's literally what he did I don't know like where in Australia he's from but I'm just picturing them like in the middle of the outback and like a yeah. small child <laughs> yeah it's like no wonder why he's moving 
movies are just fever dreams. I imagine he was like dehydrated as a seven year old, like crawling. Yeah. Just and just like, like, it's like Survivor and yeah. shit. Like fucking. It's like, did I get punched by a kungaroo or yeah. a hobo? <laughs> yeah, just the visions of David Bowie appearing in front of him. He's like, I must make this if I survive. <laughs> I must homage Bowie yeah. every <laughs> single movie. <laughs> I do have to say, though, someone's been telling me some like I've had multiple people over the years be like, oh, you would really like Moulin Rouge because it's very artsy and colorful. Yeah, I, and blah, I have blah, blah. to admit, I have no idea how you're going to react to this one. Yeah. I, I, I dare not make uh, any predictions because, it, it, again, it's it's very unique. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this before we got on, wondering, one, how you're going to take it and two, like the just kind of like the visual imagery of Moulin Rouge, like mm-hmm. everyone's saying it's artsy. I kind of avoided it in that summer because like the visuals from it reminded me of like, you know, when you go to Marshall's and you go to the home yes. decor section. Oh, speaking and of things like, I miss, Marshall's. There's, there's like decoupage, fake decoupage signs that say like <laughs> art, love, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, it's like love, like, love, love. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that's like that. I mean, to, that's really a discredit to Moulin Rouge, but that was like the vibe I got. So <laughs> yeah, like, it's the it, live laugh love. Of yeah, it, it has some it has some live laugh love moments. It definitely looks like Marshall's little, home decor. Yeah, it definitely it has it has a little bit of the home decor aesthetic at home times. Home goods or Marshall's? Let's oh, be real. Uh, I'm not fancy. The only Marshall's home goods <laughs> I know is one and the same. Oh goodness! All right, I'll have to weigh in unofficially if it's home goods or Marshall's because I'm yeah. well familiar with you know Ross is at the bottom. Then you got Marshalls, then yeah. you have TJ Maxx, <laughs> yeah. then you have at the very top is Home Goods. Yeah. Yes, I was raised by women. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very visually busy movie, but I think I think it works. It like in the Bruce Block five oh six kind of way. Uh, okay. I see. Now it's our turn for an insider yeah, baseball. Right. I was like, oh, I yeah. could actually weigh in on something. Oh yeah, it's like I think it is very. It's very it, like the cinematography is very adept, which is like another thing that I kind of got obsessed with comparing it to the Phantom of the Opera movie, which yeah. is just tries to do the same thing but just has really cluttered muddy frames throughout the whole thing and there's no focus you know it's well because i watched i watched batman uh, not batman returns batman forever recently and i was like this movie is more like moulin rouge than phantom of the opera is like moulin rouge like Joel schumacher was just like i'm just gonna do the crazy bright colorful thing and lean into it and then phantom he was like i want an oscar but i also just want to do that and do moulin rouge yeah (sighs) it's weird because it's like it feels like phantom is trying to be les mis but it was like Six years, seven, twelve years. I don't know. Yep. Anyway, we're getting off track. Yeah, yeah. So we should probably, probably hit. Everything comes back to Phantom. <laughs> you can never escape. Yeah, you still. He still hasn't watched my my Phantom video. That's like one of my best ones. That one's I great. Just, That's like one yeah. of the first ones I worked on. So you. Yeah, oh, shitting on it. Phantom for an hour. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. I'm waiting till we do a podcast about like a review of your YouTube video about Phantom. Cause <laughs> yeah, because I, figured... I was just like, we can't do the Phantom of the Opera movie, or can we? Can we? I, I think uh, we should. I'm yeah. sure the fans just, will demand just it. Just out of spite, you'll yeah. be like, "This is the best one." I like Gerard Butler. I like his <laughs> good gra- his gravelly manly like voice. It. <laughs> it's like Tom Waits on Downers. Like wow, yeah. <laughs> on more Downers. Rather. Yeah. I I mean, All unequivocally, right. anytime we do a phantom thing, it is the highest number of listeners <laughs> yeah. on the podcast. That's not even a joke. Straight yeah. up, it is. Like, well, God damn it. We got <laughs> Come get in here, Mini Driver. Come on in, Patrick Wilson. Oh. The gang's all here. Yeah. Kieran Hines, you're, I didn't know you were here, but yeah. you're here. Yeah, so now we're going to go to a break and watch Phantom of the Opera and come back and talk about <laughs> it, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll see you after the break. Can't wait yeah. to hear your Gerard Butler impressions. Adieu. 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 
If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are that you're a lot like me. You probably skew more on the artsy side and are proud of that talent, but you also feel a deep sense of shame that you're not as sciencey as your father who has an actual PhD in physical chemistry and despite his best efforts to help you with your chemistry homework, you still got a D plus in the class because some of us are just wired differently and scientific logical isn't as logical as you're making it out to be, dad. But thankfully for emotionally unstable people like us, there's Brilliant. Brilliant's mission is to inspire people to achieve their goals in STEM. One person, one question, and one small commitment to learning at a time. They enable great teachers to illuminate the soul of math, science, and engineering through bite-sized, interactive learning experiences with courses that explore the laws that shape our world and elevate math and science from something to be feared, like your father's disappointment in you, to a delightful experience of guided discovery. The first 200 people that sign up at brilliant.org slash musicalsplaining will get 20% off their annual Brilliant Premium Membership, which is already pretty reasonable, so it's like double reasonable. Again, that's brilliant.org slash musicalsplaining. So start your journey into understanding logic by signing up now and proving my dad wrong. Uh, wait, sorry. Ignore that last part. Just go sign up. Okay, and we are back from the break. We have watched Moulin Rouge. The president's been impeached again. <laughs> All kinds of stuff has happened. Yeah. My president, on what the other hand, <laughs> Jim Broadbent, <laughs> is still doing fine. Nothing but respect for my president. It's been interesting to try and watch these things while all these events are happening in real time. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it felt a little too uh, maybe detached from reality in 2001, but maybe it's a little more reflective of reality <laughs> in 2020. Yeah, the stakes are much know. higher now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it, like the, the goofy tone matches what's going on. And you're like, oh, yeah, so this is basically a, a slice of life mumblecore like, <laughs> <laughs> documentary. Like I see yeah. that like a version scene happening in the White House at least oh three times a day. Like at that least shit three. was ridiculous. <laughs> so Moulin Rouge is the story of a young bohemian artiste named Christian who moves to Paris after his judgmental English father says artists <laughs> are suckers like in rent um, and so he moves to Paris and falls in with a bunch of other bohemians including Toulouse-Lautrec played by John Leguizamo and then Naturally. they get high <laughs> yeah and then he goes to the Moulin Rouge to sell his poetry uh, <laughs> to Satine the famous courtesan but she mistakes him for the new patron of the Moulin Rouge the duke the duke misunderstandings ensue it is very bollywood they fall in love they continue to like have this sort of like comedy of errors thing. Oh, but oops, she has AIDS. I mean, tuberculosis. Uh, it's very tragic. <laughs> <laughs> and the love story, I guess, is you know it's high melodrama, and Christian is a huge asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so is the dude. So. so she has she has she has a real she has a she has her pick. pick of the litter. So Kave, what did you think of Moulin Rouge? Okay, so I I feel like I don't. I, I'm embarrassed because I like again I've said this before is like I have no edge anymore and like the more that you guys drag me down with you into the deeper and deeper waters the less I hate things it's like oh the whole point of this show is slowly eroding yeah it's like it's, I think I don't know if I've made this joke before but it's like Breaking Bad where like I start it's like, the guy, but, like by the end of it like 
like I'm fucking like a murderer, but I'm like, damn right. But you're doing song like you're goddamn right. Okay, yeah, you're like, you're like I am the one who glomps. You know, exactly. Yes, that's literally what's happened. But okay, so I kind of alluded to this too before, where I'm like, Baz Luhrmann is a guy who's like. If there's one thing you can't say about that guy, it's like it's his own thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy does a thing that's very specifically him. Right. And I don't dislike it. And I, and I was trying to think about what it is about him that I like. And it's like he's I said like way too many times. He is a person who will will sort of assault you with a lot of different things. And it's super ADD, but it's never incoherent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like that's a very strange like specific ability that he has that I really appreciate. But the short version of what I was gonna say is is. It's actually very fun. <laughs> yeah. And I did it's like it. It's very Bollywood because like as I was rewatching it with that Bollywood in mind, I'm like, you can really see the influence, not just in like the literal Indian stuff, but like the way it's cut, the way it's shot, uh, the way it bops from emotion to emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the music too, right? Like I was like joking with Sarah. I was like, oh, this is how this is like girl talk the musical. It's just going from like one fucking track to the next. <laughs> Which is usually how I think about songs in my head anyway. Like, I don't remember whole songs. I'll just sort of have, like, one Mm -hmm. little beat, and then Mm -hmm. my ADD brain will go to the next thing. So I was like, oh, cool, whatever. Like, this just fucking fits on, like, slips on like a glove on my hand. Like, I didn't have any trouble (laughs) following it. The only thing that was really, like, it's very intense in the beginning, which, if I remember correctly, I feel like that's what he does in Gatsby, too. Yeah, I saw Gatsby it actually once. has a very, almost identical um, structure of the, as The Great Gatsby, because it's, like, kind of is a little epistolary, where in The Great Gatsby, you even have the, like, in this in this movie, you have the um, aesthetic of the typewriter, and in The Great Gatsby, it's the aesthetic of the yeah. letter writing, and sort of, like, I mean, in Gatsby, it's so lame and forced, where it's, like, do your therapy via, like, <laughs> like therapist telling him to yeah. like write his diary and it's yeah. oh, right. like, and then yeah. it like shows up on the screen yeah. and it's like all yeah. handwritten it's out. like yeah, the yeah. Natasha oh. Bedingfield song like sitting down to write about a song you know like it's like one of my least favorite tropes is a, a thing talking about the thing that the character does like here's a song about me writing a song it's like you know, tribute just, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> this is not got to believe <laughs> yeah so for some reason I thought of like two things right and this is gonna sound insane but I thought of Kill Bill and I also thought of uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world mm, mm-hmm. which have you guys seen Scott Pilgrim I yeah haven't. So the the way that it's cut and the way that it sort of moves from beat to beat to beat and it just sort of like runs across storylines and runs across spaces and like everything seems to sort of like blend into each other. Yeah. That and Kill Bill itself sort of have a similar idea, but... And I was, I'm reticent to bring this up because it's very like, oh, I went to college and like this is an <laughs> annoying essay that we had to write about. But like, considering that this is from like 2001, mm-hmm. like I remember when Kill Bill came out, people were like, oh, it's like the first proper like postmodern film that's like a mishmash of all these different things and blah, 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 okay. blah, blah. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is the first like, movie I've seen. It's like when people see like Inception and they're like, yeah. wow, mind yeah. blown. Did the top fall or not? <laughs> but I just remember, I just remember Kill Bill being a something that's like it pulls from everything and sort of like it's like a giant like a mixtape is sort of what I was saying before. Yeah. But as far as like a musical goes, again, because my reference is is limited, mm-hmm. but that's sort of what it felt like. That was sort of the analog that I saw where I was like, oh, it seems like they're pulling from. And I was also laughing at you guys because I was like, okay, yeah, it's in Paris. Yeah. It's a fucking theater. They're putting on a show. There's a love You're triangle. Right. It, oh, yeah. yeah. You can't see it, but Angie yeah. is literally like raw rawing like a yeah. cheerleader. <laughs> like, it's, it's like my we, things. It's all my things. I'm we, the theater kid. It's me. <laughs> We've literally rewired your brain to compare everything Honestly. to Honestly. 
It's not even a joke. I can't not see it. It's just uh, like in everything. It's in everything now. You just yeah. turn around. And but even within my knowledge, I was like, oh, I can see where this is pulled from. I can kind of see where this is pulled from. Oh, it's the guy writing the thing that's going to save everything. Yeah. And then he writes the thing. <laughs> and then it's like he's trying to save this girl that died. And he's trying to, you know, whatever. Don't look back. There's just all the things sort of seem to like congeal into one giant story. But anyway, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. But the, the one overlying question I thought, which was, I thought was interesting that was that Baz Luhrmann kind of answered was like, why do you make a movie musical? Right. Cause this is something that started as a movie. Mm-hmm. So like, why would you make this as a film as opposed to an actual stage production? Mm-hmm. And like Baz Luhrmann, I think is like very uniquely suited to execute this film in a way where you're like, yes, it's absolutely like a blend of those two mediums in a way where you're like, this could only be a movie. Right. It honors like the stage musical in a way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I was very impressed with it. I was very impressed. Yeah, I think that yeah. that's a thing is like, it, it, you know, you are in a lot of ways a lot more equipped to talk about this season <laughs> since we're talking about movie <laughs> musicals and, you know, yes. a part of the toolbox inevitably is going to be cinematography and editing and uh, stuff like editing, that. Editing, man. Yeah, because that's the thing is like I used this movie is like when I did the uh, episode about the Phantom movie it was like this movie was sort of my counterpoint as how like how to do editing well and how to make you know it's like it is really Michael Bay-ish and how like choppy it is like in a lot of the like high energy scenes the cuts will won't last for more than half a second like they'll just like but like the thing is you know in that Bruce Block sense like (laughs) so at USC we had to take this class called 506 what is it it? it was like it had a title 506 no 506 it was 506 visual something and um the whole point of that was it wasn't really an intro to cinematography. It was more just how to teach you how to how frames work. And then a lot of them were really basic lessons like, you know, your eye always goes to the brightest part of the frame first. Yeah. Um, your eye always goes to the center of the frame first. And, um, you know, Mad Max Fury Road was a really good example of like they yes. had a lot of leeway with the editing because they always kept the focus in the center of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So whenever you kind of pull away from that, it's like it's doable, but it's a lot harder because you have to be thinking like a storyboard or almost like an animator, because if you remove the focus from the center of the frame, then your, uh, you know, your eyes going to be yeah, jumping around. The eye will be jumping around. Catch up to it. And that's sort of yeah. the amazing thing about like these really high energy numbers is a lot of the time the focus isn't in the center of the frame, but the eye never hops around in that messy way that Michael Bay movies so often do. This is something that came out of the 50s and 60s, right? This is pure cinema, which is like you're looking at it strictly as like a medium of film. It's not necessarily about a story. It's about like the, the if you're looking at something that's purely cinematic, it's about the edit and it's about movement. Like it's very abstract. It's the thing that apparently like George Lucas was obsessed with back in the 50s and 60s. Like when you so if you watch like the pod racing scenes, like that's very pure cinema. There's not really a story. It's just like mm-hmm. this thing moving this way. Mm-hmm. And then you cut to this other thing that's moving this way. And then there's a sound. And it's like, motherfucker would just edit without sound, apparently. So this sort of reminded me of that. And I actually went back and watched the, I think it was the Roxanne sequence. Mm, Yeah. Because there's so many fucking, there's like a billion cuts in that. And at no point do you get disoriented or confused or lost, which which is really well done. And it's like he just he'll cut to somebody like jumping, like like the crowd of people jumping in the middle of like a reaction shot of Ewan McGregor and like next to uh, what's his name? Like the Duke seeing <laughs> yeah. uh, Nicole oh, yeah. Kidman. And it's like you, your eye just processes all of it like in a second, like even though the shots themselves aren't even the se- a second long. Yeah. What, what's charming about that kind of energy to me, and I don't I, I'm sure it was intentional because so much of this movie is about like 1890s Paris and playing with like what like Belle Epoque 
aesthetics were, but it does have like this mm-hmm. really great like post impressionist impressionist feel because like impressionism rose out of this need to create motion to 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 get that feeling that your eye has when it moves along something and it isn't just mm-hmm. one still image, and so like one Baz Luhrmann was doing that intentionally and two I really enjoy it because he clearly cares about musicals and he clearly cares about making a movies and so like, yeah, this just yeah. feels like such a good tribute to like visual culture in general. See, the song in tribute that they're singing about is actually Come What May. (laughs) Sounds nothing like it, it's true. Because actually, like, it is kind of remarkable because Come What May is, like, the only original song. Um, And I I think that's really clever because, you know, it kind of relies on the audience knowing most, if not all, of the songs, you know, that are, like, they're different enough from the original that it's not like, you know, because there's a lot of times with covers, there's this sort of uncanny valley thing Mm -hmm. going on where it's like, this feels just like a shittier version of the original like it's too similar like that um that kate bush uh song that's on the radio right now um running up that hill there's like there's a 40 there's a top 40 cover that's just like pretty damn the same yeah you know and it's just like but this doesn't need to exist at least the placebo version was different um but like you know it's it's all of these all of the uh versions uh of the songs in the music in the the movie are recognizable but they don't really sound anything like the originals like your song it's it's recognizable but it sounds nothing like the elton john version which plus 10 points for using elton john as your hook Mm-hmm. For like throughout, I was like, that's, I remember telling Sarah, I was like, oh, that's very smart. Cause like, who can write a better fucking like little hook than Elton John? And they just keep coming back to it. That was the only thing I could mm-hmm. keep remembering. Yeah. And then like they end like the big number is the only original song, but it's like, the, the, it was just kind of ballsy, like that your emotional keystone is also like the only original song. So it's like, it has to be really good <laughs> or the entire yeah. movie's going to just like deflate like a bouncy castle. Oh man, I'm trying to think. There was a really good example of that in a, in a musical movie recently, where it was just kind of like, "Oh, this is the oh well, no, no, not not a recent one, but like when you build all of Rent on uh, the yes, song that Roger yes. is writing. Exactly, it's exactly <laughs> the same. Or Mimi, and it's just like, oh, I don't ever yeah. like this. I mean, it's like structurally, it's like because obviously, like Rent is based on La Boheme, and a lot of Moulin Rouge is based on La Boheme. Uh, so it's like they they like Moulin Rouge is primarily based on La Traviata, but it also draws a lot from Labo and particularly the um, affliction subplot. And it is kind of amazing to me how it is basically Rent, where it's like, it is like, I have to write one big song and yeah. you know, it's like... It's like all of them. And, They're all the same. Yeah, but I think the thing is like, you know, it is remarkable how in Rent it is legitimately the worst song in the show. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's a like, show with a lot of songs that are not great, it yeah. is the worst one. It, it brings her back to life which you know this does not come <laughs> what may kills her it's an inverse yeah. unrelated but there was this guy uh on twitter a few weeks ago who like um i guess i don't know if he was drunk or what but he like <laughs> just crawl just you know cool mate kool-aid mans into my mentions like your book sucks you know what's good rent and fuck you for hating rent oh <laughs> going off about how i'll never be as good as Bro. i'll never be as good as rent and I could only dream of being as good as Rent. <laughs> and I was like, I because I responded because I, I don't think he thought I'd see it because you know people think when they when you have a blue check mark you're not going to see the things that right. they say. And I Jesus Christ. And I was like, uh, I think I said something kind of like catty, like, oh, okay, well, what part of my book did you not like? You know, because he obviously hadn't read it, and right. then he deleted his account. So. <laughs> 
when you get started on like the third book in your series, somebody's gonna have to like get deathly ill mm-hmm. for you to pop that one out. I'm writing one great book. It's like just just sit down. It's only two hundred thousand words. It'll take you like four days, and then <laughs> there's like a monta- reading montage, and then they're cured yeah. at the end. <laughs> I I did do a little bit of reading afterwards, um, and I did come across an essay that was kind of interesting where they talked about the framing device of the writing in this story, which is what to me stuck out as being different from like rent. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like, it's not this cheesy thing where he's like, I'm going to write the song that like saves everybody and saves the world. He's just doing his job. He's just, he's he's just just doing his job. But then also the sort of the reverse framing device where it's like, he's writing the story about what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. So like when he's like got the beard, he's got the beard and he's like, Oh, everything turned out shitty. And he's sort of like, doing the memoir of it as in addition to when he's writing the story in the mm-hmm. beginning and then how his life ends up becoming the story of the, of the, I don't, I don't yeah. know if you call it the musical within the musical, but like the show itself, mm-hmm. but sort of about like art as healing, I think is sort of what. I, yeah. I Cause it's like, not yeah. like yeah. you can really come away with it. Like, and then, you know, maybe the tuberculosis was the friends we made along the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. he didn't, like it doesn't really culminate with any, like, concrete moral other than just yeah. sort of this implication of healing through art. Like, yeah. him writing yeah. it or down as a, yeah. you know, a form of catharsis or processing this thing. So I thought in that sense, it was a lot more effective than, you know, the other ones that we've seen that do it. Because it, it, I mean, even though it does sound kind of cheesy in the beginning where he's like, I came to write about the bohemian ideals of love and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's ultimately not what it ends up being. It's yeah. like yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah, I think it's just like in, in a way, the bohemian ideals end up being kind of incidental. Like, really, yeah. it could have been anything. I think it's just like when you compare it to Rent being so self-important and, you know, my mm-hmm. art is going to save the world. And yeah, like and I think that's it. Like, even in <laughs> Phantom, like it, uh, you know, it's, it's no, a- this is the opposite. He's like, I'm just trying to bang this broad yeah. with my heart. That's yeah, like he's inspired too. by her, but yeah, because <laughs> I think the funny thing about Phantom is like, um, it's very, it, I think it's more similar to Rent because it's just his fanfic that he wants everyone to read. It's right. just, you know, it, like it's just for me, and, <laughs> as opposed to Moulin Rouge, where it's like, you know, the the art's kind of incidental, like, yeah. and it, it's not the ends, it's more like yeah. the means, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like, like, well, that whole your song scene happens like spontaneously, mm-hmm. you know, because she's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's like scatting. Know, she's like, <laughs> he's, she's just like, you know, pretending to have like the worst orgasm ever. <laughs> oh my God. That's Oscar, Oscar nominated. But I <laughs> yeah. love it. And, that's what got her the Oscar nom. Her, but not Yeah. And then he just starts, you know, pulling out Bernie Topan lines on the fly. And it's out of a genuine, like, like it's out of a genuine, like, vibe with each other. You know, yeah. like the yeah. art is she's incidental. Like, is that Topin? Yeah, she's like, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. I have yeah. this guy friend named Elton. Yeah, but like, yeah, the art is just like a means of communicating like love. Love is a many splendid thing. All you need love, is love. Need is love. <laughs> All you need is love. Yeah. Like, oh, damn. That just turned me 13 <laughs> saying that. Like, Yeah, but I think it is kind of funny because he's also, you know, he's like, spewing all these like you know pop top 40 pop song lines about love but they are kind of meaningless and i think it's like it, it's interesting how the movie never really leans into the cynical i guess truth which is like that stuff it's just like it's cute but it doesn't really mean anything um but at the same time it does it, you know it, it it doesn't downplay that that doesn't mean it doesn't mean something to people you know it's like it can still be meaningless while also like you know bringing joy to people and sometimes yeah. that is a yeah. means unto itself 
That's going to be the theme yeah. of our of this season because that's sort of how we felt about Ratatouille. Yeah. As well. like, yeah. Just because it's disposable and like I mean it's like the power of of pop culture, yeah. right? It's like yeah, it's exactly. Meant to be consumed, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have any value. Yeah. yeah. I'd almost add that, like, this is, like, him putting that kind of value into it. You know, you hear these top 40 radio songs about love, and you're just like, that was, yeah, like, that was cute. Because if you break down the lyrics to a lot of opera in general, they're not particularly deep either. It's just, like, this is, like, this big, powerful emotion that we feel. And I like that it does that with top 40. Like, we could be heroes, baby. I don't know. I'm I'm getting old and Sometimes, like, the the top 40-ness of it is, like, you know, it it really is just, like, it's not that deep, bro. Like, you know, I have... (laughs) For instance, like, my 2020, I have listened to The Weeknd's Blinding Lights at least 600,000 times. (laughs) And it's not because it, like, you know, means something like, oh, my father talked about the blinding light. Like, no. It's just just a pretty... It's just a fun song, and it makes me feel happy and i think you know the way that the movie kind of incorporates songs like that that are like you know not all of them like roxanne but like Mm -hmm. most of them are like you know they come up in their moment to kind of reflect whatever that meant the pop culture you know like uh Mm -hmm. diamonds are a girl's best friend um Mm -hmm. being like sort of a little bit archaic but Mm -hmm. also you know really well known and has positive connotations because everybody likes marilyn monroe I'd be curious to hear somebody's opinion who, like, doesn't know any of these songs. Mm, yeah. Like, I, like, it starts with the references. If you were just, like, I mean, I guess everybody who's... I just assume anybody who's born after the year, like, 95, like, was not inundated with these things, mm. necessarily. Like, these songs, but... I think... It, I imagine it would be like watching a Bollywood movie. And... Because I think, like, they kind of have to hold up by themselves, you know? Because that's, mm. that, you know, like, a, all of my favorite Bollywood movies I like because I like the songs. And yeah, most of the times I'll just, like, skip the, like, hour of melodramatic dialogue <laughs> to just get to the musical number. Anyway, do we want to talk about Christian? How much he sucks? Oh. Yeah, I, I, I was, like, watching that. <laughs> yes. I was waiting, and I was like, he's not that bad. And then I was like, oh, he's a huge, yeah. terrible bummer. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing is about because like whenever I tried, it was like, well, maybe I was I was like being like, you know, too pop feminist about Christian back, you know, 10 years ago. And then I rewatch. I'm like, no, nah, he's just as bad as the Duke. Like, he's yeah. just poor. Yeah. Like, he's just like the only difference between the two of them is one of them has institutional power and money and one doesn't. But like hey, at the end of the day, it is just these two guys trying to control her. You know, it's just sorry. I, I know he sucks. Another, <laughs> another narrative like that set in. In 1880s Paris. Exactly. Exactly. It's all and, the same. Yeah, it's it's all the same. One's ugly, He's one's He's a non murdering Eric. That's yeah. all he is. No. Yeah, I think it's like if he was Ugg, then I'd be like, my boy, but he's yeah. cute, so I'm like, fuck that guy. And I think the thing is, like, the thing that bugs me about, like, not that it really, you know, detracts from the movie that much, but I think it's, like, this idea that there is a meaningful contrast between Christian and the Duke, you know, because I think it's just, like, in Phantom, there is a meaningful, you know, a pretty meaningful contrast between Raul and Eric. Like, they definitely have that, you know, controlling vibe. But, like, I don't think Raul is meant to be framed as controlling, and it is more subtext, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in the book. Like, it's not in the musical at all. Like, um, in the musical, he's fine. But uh, in Moulin Rouge, like, the Duke is framed as, like, this monster. Christian is, like... He's not that much better. I think, like, you know, at the end of the Roxanne scene, you know, Duke's about to get his uh, non-consent on, and... (laughs) 
he gets whacked and you're like, oh, yeah. did Christian have a come to Jitno? Right. Well, <laughs> fuck, I, that whole thing. I was like, who was that? And Sarah was like, it's the guy that caught her when she fell. It's like her, his like her protector. Yeah. And, and it's was just like, like, yeah, I don't fucking remember that. Does that guy yeah. even have a name? Yeah. Like, it's just like, he does. this is, this is racist. Like he yeah. should have been yeah. the one she, you know, fell in love with and died in his arms because yeah. he's the one who's always like literally he's saving her. her. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, he, he Daroga's the hero. Of the does he have any, he's the Daroga. Is does he have any lines? He, I don't no. remember. I just feel like the last time I saw that actor is he's in Dumbo, and I was just oh, like, "Oh yeah, God, he's man. just like the he's like made a career on like thankless minor black characters that like clean up the white characters' messes." Yeah, like, pretty much. <laughs> I just think about like that scene where like you know, granted she dies like five minutes later, but like that's like right before like the big come what may revival when Christian's like, Mm -hmm. I've paid my whore. Like, I'd be like, you know what? That would be grounds for me to just be like, Cool, I'm going to the mall. Fuck you. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just like it's It's like it's it's on her to like apologize. Yeah. When she has done nothing wrong. And um and it's weird because like it does it's like it doesn't really bother me because it's such a goofy movie, but it's like that is what happens. And I think it is a little bit like disingenuous to frame Christian as any more because it's just like, you know, they're both trying to control her. They're both trying to punish her in their own ways. And the Duke does it with like, you know, money and institutional power. And Christian yeah. does it with emotional manipulation and shaming. Like, yeah. fuck him. Yeah. Genuinely yeah. fuck Christian. Yeah. yeah. I think the way I look at it now is, is like, that's pretty much all men in opera. Like so much of opera, especially like dramatic opera, is just like mm-hmm. about men controlling women and the woman gets murdered or she dies, you know, like that's and that mm-hmm. that's it. And like everyone's always like just a little bit controlling and like it's framed as romantic sometimes yeah. when they're killed and I'm just like I like that's it but like yeah like I don't buy the whole like oh this bright eyed bushy tailed artist mm-hmm. you know Although this movie was enough for me to immediately want to go as a 13-year-old and watch all of Ewan McGregor's filmography, which is definitely not 13-year-old appropriate. Spotting, yeah. I was going to say. Trainspotting yeah. was like my favorite movie when I was 13 years old because of this movie. So no, I watched both Trainspotting and Velvet Goldmine because of you. And yeah. that was at least... Oh. I think that was like the third or fourth dong I ever saw. All of them were... Yeah. The very first, you know, here's here's this for unrelated trauma. The first dick I ever saw. <laughs> first guess, dongs. Guess which, guess which actor. Was it uh, uh, Harvey Keitel? Little Harvey Keitel. Was, was Harvey Keitel every '90s kid's first dick? I think <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone saw oh Harvey Keitel's dick. Harvey is dying. I think I killed well, him. I, I, oh I, my god! I, I had I had a Mad Magazine issue. It was like one of my dad's. 1994, baby. Well, it was it was parroting Pulp Fiction, and then when his character shows up, they were talking about how his dick was like the one that everyone had seen, you know? <laughs> Just like nothing is more mimetic than Harvey Keitel's dick. It's true. Yeah. It was a big deal in the 90s. It was, yeah. Yeah. It was everywhere. I, I, didn't, I didn't like, I, I mean, I knew it was like the naughty movie, but I didn't know. I was like, yeah. one of my f- friends like in the fourth grade brought it over to my house like, ooh, we're gonna, we're gonna see like an, an adult movie. Yes. <laughs> and then Nell, those were the two movies. Nell, wow. where you saw Naked Jodie Foster and mm-hmm. The Piano, where we saw Naked Harvey Keitel. Which I, I guess shit. Harvey Keitel is kind of similar to Jim Broadbent, which I guess that's a good segue. <laughs> Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent, who should have been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. I'm surprised he wasn't. Him and John Goodman and the Big Lebowski. Like, those yeah. Are, 
Oh. The two Robin ones. How dare you not no, nominate these great. people? Yeah, he's like one one of those people that just like I hate to compare it to improv, but a good improv <laughs> team always has one person that keeps kind of the energy going, you know, and yeah. kind of like keeps the suspension the of disbelief of by keeping the energy yeah. so high. And like that's that's why I like Jim Broadbent in this. It's just kind of like yes, keep the pacing of this movie, Jim. Sing like a virgin and then sing Queen. Yeah, he's kind of is like that fucking. That scene was hilarious, by the way. The, the like a virgin, and then he's like throwing the doily over his head yeah. like a scarf, they and go, dancing around like full Hello Dolly dancing waiter, <laughs> like effeminate. Just like I love this. This looks like yeah, it is very Bob Fosse, but also like the yeah. song itself being so different from the original Madonna song, but like so also recognizable. Yeah, I, there's one shot where he's running away from the Duke and then oh, yeah. all the dancers where he's like in the foreground yeah. and they're like doing this as they're like running after him. <laughs> like a virgin! <laughs> so the one thing that we need to talk about that we did not discuss, which is very important, is the 30-second Kylie Minogue cameo for some reason. <laughs> you know, I hated Kylie Minogue for the longest time because my I was saying this off, off mic, but my brother was a huge fan of Kylie Minogue, and I think that was the reason why he saw this movie. And now, like, I'm such a Kylie Minogue stan that, like, those 30 seconds, I'm like, yes! Do the hills! <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really think that, that those 30 seconds are really important because it really sets the tone, and if you're yeah. not on board for the absinthe trip, you just, you should probably stop watching right now. <laughs> yeah, if Kylie Minogue in a little Tinkerbell dress, like, you know, turns you off, then you're probably not going to like Moulin Rouge. But yeah. it does sell like the whole like um, the the dreamlike atmosphere of it. You know, like that is like where it really first shows up, and yeah. you're kind of like cool. You're like, this is going to be batshit insane. Here you go. Yeah. And Although I'm kind of disappointed she didn't come back. I thought she was going to be like a recurring thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was a little like, disappointed. M- m- yeah. The cast Moulin Rouge couldn't afford more than thirty seconds of Minoche. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> were, I mean, I think she's like was because she's very like huge in Australia. Yeah. In the U.S., you know, at the she's, time. She's got a bit, yeah, at, at the time, yeah, definitely. Like, I think it's just, like, she was, like, had a couple top 40 hits, but she wasn't, like, Britney Spears level, so that was almost sort of like a, you a know, wink. Boz coming in, like, it's ours, and yeah. our, <laughs> our Nicole Kidman. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. The only, like, the, the woman who plays Nene Legs in the Air, a.k.a. the bitchy can't can dancer, is a very mm-hmm. famous uh, Australian oh, yeah, I was gonna actress. Say, I was wondering who she was, because she looked familiar, but she didn't look like anybody I knew. That's the one who was like, oh, like, goes sitar up to the Duke. Sitar player. Yeah. Sitar, yeah, the penniless sitar, yeah, sitar player. player. Oh, yeah. sorry, writer. I don't know, or whatever, yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. The one that's just like, what's her deal? <laughs> I'm here for her. Also, she has an amazing split that she does like at the very beginning oh, of yeah, the movie yeah. with like the I'm like oh damn, but I do love like that her name is Nini Legs in the Air. There's Lord Amulon. That's her full name. The Moulin Rouge wiki is over here, like, yeah. updating constantly. I think good. Yeah. The, uh, the cool. MRCU keeps, yeah. you know, keeps expanding. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the, the novels, what are they called? Now it's, like, Moulin Rouge Legends, since they, like, oh. it's not canon anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Legends. Did I make this up? Did you guys say that it's a musical now based on the film? Yes. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And we, yeah, it was playing when we were in New York. It had right, just right. opened. And yeah. uh, that was going to be one of the ones, because uh, <clears throat> I left our fourth slot open um, yeah. because I was like, well, we'll like either TKTS or see what's going on. And so that was one of the ones that I had like maybe, and mm-hmm. we saw six instead because it was the new hotness. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess we will find out if it ever reopens. I don't know. There's yeah. a part of me that's like, it's going to be disappointing no matter what, because it you, you, there's no editing, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's my thing is, like, I can't see it, like, without the like, movie. It. Yeah, like, yeah. the it, yeah. It in movie form, because, like, that is what sells it, like, in, yeah. in a way that, like, most movie musicals don't understand. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Like, I think the, the, the thing that was always brilliant to me about the movie is the way it uses film language to, uh-huh. you know, lean into the tone and to mm-hmm. make, and it does, because usually film language works against that suspicion of disbelief in musicals, and that's kind of why movie musicals always feel a little weird in a way that stage musicals don't um so just the the way that Moulin Rouge uses uh, or like uses the medium to its advantage and makes it feel you know just that weird you know I think in in a in a weird way the same material on stage would kind of have the opposite problem is it would feel too grounded yeah Uh, yeah yeah I agree like, how do you make a big Jim Broadbent floating yeah. in the air and backflipping <laughs> on the stage? Oh, I love that. I love this movie. <laughs> Would you guys say, I guess we'll sort of, like you said, winding it down. Um, but just out of curiosity, do you guys see this as sort of a standard of musical films? I, yes. Yeah. I think it's like, yes, but I don't know if it should necessarily be emulated because I think like it, it is such its own thing. That's kind of right. why it's hard to describe. I would, yeah. I'm, I'm glad there wasn't a trend of Moulin Rouge knockoffs in the way that there was a trend of Chicago knockoffs. Yeah. Well, no, you have to be uh, insane to make a Baz Luhrmann movie. Like, yeah. you just you yeah. don't have any insanity. Like, oh, man. I think that's the other thing is like, if you were to make a Moulin Rouge knockoff, like enter at your own risk because yeah. like yeah, a bad Christ. Chicago knockoff is just going to be boring. It's going to yeah, be like yeah. this, but like a bad Moulin Rouge knockoff would be, could be like Batman and Robin levels of worst movie of all time. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, Moulin Rouge swings for the fences. It is high risk, high reward. Yeah. And I yeah. Think yeah. Movie, it's like, because it, I think it's like, personally, I think it is Baz Luhrmann's best movie by a country mile. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it usually works out as well for him. There's like a thing when you're learning how to draw. Okay. So like people think. Ooh, I like style, it. Drawing. Like, so like stylized anatomy. A lot of people yeah. look at it like something like Quentin Blake does. Like they go, that's easy. And it's like, it actually takes oh, so no, much not at all. training and anatomical <laughs> knowledge to be able to stylize something. And that's yeah. how I feel about Moulin Rouge. Like you could just say, wow, it looks like that they just threw whatever they want at the camera and went with whatever colors they want. And you're like, no, there were so many deft hands involved in making this movie work. You don't. You're not able to just yeah. throw shit on the screen like that, you know, without yeah. years of figuring out and understanding film language and, and yeah. or, you know, costume making or, or color grading. Or you writing know, like, even shit. Yeah. Writing. Yeah. And I, I really didn't get that when I was in high school. And I think that, you know, and I definitely know that there are certain people that I used to work with that never understood that. Like, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we still work together, Lindsay. What are you talking about? <laughs> no shade. No shade. <laughs> I would say it's a standard of film musical, not that. I think people should recreate it, but that people should take away the lesson that like you don't have to just do one to one adaptations right. of film. Yeah, and musicals. I think like the, that's a big lesson I took away from it is that mm-hmm. like 
you know, musicals require an inherent level of suspension of disbelief. And the trend in film lately, like, especially since, like, you know, the Harvey Weinstein takeover has been like, you know, films get rewarded for being more realistic or feeling realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, even musical films, like, again, Chicago, a Harvey Weinstein joint. And I like Chicago, you know, no shade. But, like, <laughs> I think that the lesson that, you know, you need to take from it is to work with the medium and to let, you know, the tone be like complemented with your with the language of film rather than working against it and you know i think that is that's the main takeaway from moulin rouge in terms of musical movies and it is very very rare that i've seen it done well or you could just make Mamma Mia and just mm-hmm. be like, we're in Greece. Yeah, and you know what the ironic <laughs> thing is? Is La La Land absolutely does do that. I think La La Land yeah. oh, actually no. does exactly uh, what I'm saying. And I still don't Lala. like it. I still don't like it. You know what? Maybe, maybe I'll like it more when we inevitably walk down La La Lane <laughs> together. A lolling walk down La La Lane with Lindsay. Oh, too many elves right now. La 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 Land. Uh, okay, cool. So it seems like a three for three. Everybody liked or everybody loved uh, Moulin Rouge. I'm I'm thrilled you loved it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised too. I was just like yeah. I thought I was going to be annoyed with it, and I was like, no, this is actually this is art, kind of like actually. It's art. Yeah, I was like, I get it, but yeah, like I said, you both have ruined me and my life, and yeah. I have no edge. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of requests for. Uh, Repo, the genetic opera. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe next week we'll, we'll bop right back on down to hate town. Yeah. I was going to say, are people going to stop listening to the podcast if I'm not angry every time? I feel like oh, don't, I'm don't not worry. giving them you'll, what they want. You'll, you'll find like plenty to be angry to be like, about. I enjoyed this. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll find plenty to hate. Don't you worry. Oh, man. All right, all right. Good luck. Well, yep. thank you again, Miss Angie. It's always lovely, lovely Absolutely. to have you with us. Our fifth Beatle. Always You're now so the sixth Beatle. You're even more. You're yeah. a double Beatle. <laughs> I am the Beatle. I'm you Omni are the Beatle. Beatle. <laughs> I'm Omni I'm Beatle. Beatle I'm, so gl- I'm so glad you're officially a Phantom of the Opera stand cover. Like, I'm so glad. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm a historian. I'm not a fan. Getting, you're going to start getting know a fights lot with people on Twitter two. who are... Yeah. You're going to you know, get started getting in fights with Twitter but people who are wrong about Phantom. You like, started correcting you, people. <laughs> you called him Eric. I'm just going <laughs> to... You and my, my conversation there. We no. didn't even have to say it. You 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 used you did the it. E word. You did it. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just osmosis. I've just learned. Uh, uh, me yeah. and my stupid brain. Yeah, because we're brain. over here. Just yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we we use them. We're on a first name basis with Eric. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we're we're on the astral plane with him. How much yeah. more can I suffer? <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find us on socials. Uh, okay, so on social, we are at Musical Splainin with no G on Twitter, at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. I am at Kavitarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram, where I have got fun comics. Go check them out. I'm uh, Y Angelina Y on Twitter. If you like depressing tweets about fictional butt cheeks, then yeah. by all means, come and join me. And I guess you can see my really work yeah. Now with that you've Lindsay discovered on the like sing-along function on TikTok, <laughs> yeah, you can see me try to like out scream some TikTok tweens to Wicked. So yeah, do you, uh, yeah. you want to hear on my own? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you want to hear on my own sung by a 33 year old who smokes too much weed? Uh, then there you go. And I met the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter and named brand Lindsay on Instagram. Uh, I guess that's it. We will see you guys at the Zoom call. We didn't, we still haven't figured out a good exit for this season because we don't have to see you at the theater. Only smooth exits from now on. <laughs> <laughs>
Warm, steamy dumps. <laughs> Warm, sweaty dumps. Warm, sweaty dumps. Steamy Smooth. dumps. I don't know what you've been doing. Smooth right. transition. I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> cutting it. Okay. Bye.